First Corinthians 15. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, every day is Easter. As soon as you see the sun come up every morning, you know that we serve a risen Savior and he's coming back for us. There's never a day when we don't have a risen Savior. And this morning we're closing out a series called It Is Finished. We've seen that Jesus' death on the cross brought completion to several things, to the redemptive sacrifice needed for salvation. But it also brought completion to the law's demand and the law's curse. And today we cover the best news of all. Uh, Through his resurrection, Jesus finished the victory over death. Our reading, as I said, is 1 Corinthians 15. And if you're physically able, would you stand for the reading this morning? And share with those close to you, and we could all read it together. Starting in verse number 12, I'll read it aloud. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, you're yet in your sins. Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming, then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rules and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Today we're going to talk about the victory over death. Let's pray. Father, would you bless this morning as we look into your word. And whether each one here today hears the gospel for the first time or the 20th time or the 100th time, I pray that you would impress on our hearts that the only way to receive victory over death is through the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would help us to understand and to capitalize on your truth and to use it in our lives in days to come. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Would you listen as these ladies sing this morning? Believe. 
Amen. Great song this morning for a Resurrection Sunday, and I appreciate that so much. Well, Jesus, we know, died on the cross. And Scripture records that three days later, he rose bodily from the tomb. And today we'll talk about that event itself, just to re reinforce in our memories what the resurrection is. But we're also going to be talking about what the resurrection defeats and what the resurrection assures and why it's so important to each of us in our everyday lives. When Jesus defeated the grave, he claimed victory over spiritual death for all those who would accept him. But he also assured that physical death will be defeated in his time. And we're going to see that at the end of the service, and I hope it will really come alive to all of us this morning. There are four parts to the message, and if you've got a bulletin today, right inside of your bulletin, there are some notes if you'd like to follow along with the message, and it's provided there for you. Let's talk as we begin about defining vain faith. Defining vain faith. You know, all across the world, there are religions who are participating and practicing what they believe today. And it's so interesting because faith is really, really important, and we all know that. But not all faiths are equal. Okay? And sometimes we think it is, and we hear people say things like, well, as long as you believe, that's what's important. But that's not quite true. See, who you believe in is just as important as what is believing itself. And of believing in Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the tomb is huge to us. And the apostle speaks, as we read in verses 12 to 19 there, of the emptiness of faith in an unrisen Savior. Look, let's look at it again, and I want you to see it, especially verse number 17. Look what it says. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Do you know, any faith that does not place a risen Savior at the very core of its belief system is offering a false hope to all the people that it proselytizes or all the people that it brings in, all the people that it ministers to. It's a false hope. Paul expressed to the Corinthians that Christianity itself, the very essence of Christianity, would be empty if there were no resurrected Christ. A story is told of an African Muslim who became a Christian. And his friends began to ask him and, and speak to him and say, why have you become a Christian? And here's how he answered, and I thought it was such a, a profound statement that he made. He said, it's like this. Suppose you were going down the road, and suddenly the road forked in two directions. They didn't know which way to go. There at the fork of the road were two men, one dead and one alive. Who would you ask which way to go? Now, doesn't that make sense? That makes sense to me. It's so profound. And who are you going to ask? You're going to ask the only risen Savior who has ever initiated a world religion? Or are you going to ask a dead religious leader? And it's a profound question. If the central figure of your religion has not risen from the dead, then your religion is vain, according to the Scripture. A man and his five-year-old son were driving past a cemetery one day, and 
And, of course, the little boy noticed a, a large pile of dirt next to a freshly dug grave. The little boy said, look, Dad, one got out. <laughs> Not understanding exactly how it all works. But you know, next time you drive past a cemetery, you should think of the one who the grave could not hold. Because the grave still has a hold on Buddha. And the grave still has a hold on Confucius. And the grave still has a hold on Mary Baker Eddy. And the grave still has a hold on Muhammad. And the grave still has a hold on Abraham. And the grave still has a, a, a hold on Moses and on Joseph Smith and on L. Ron Hubbard and on every religious leader who's ever lived and died. The grave has kept them. But one rose from the tomb. And that is why Christianity is not vain. It's a living, forceful movement started by a founder who rose from the dead. You know, God's word helps us to realize that Christianity is not a theory. It's not a list of rules. It's not a list of religious practices. It is a person, the only person ever to rise from the dead under his own power. And any belief system that doesn't have a risen Savior is empty. That's why those who don't believe in Jesus Christ alone for salvation cannot have lasting peace. Notice verse 19 again. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. You know, religious people are some of the most miserable people on the planet. They are. I'm not talking about people who believe in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. We should have joy every day because we have a risen Lord. But there are religious people all over the world who are of all men most miserable because they don't have any lasting hope. Do you know the ultimate goal, I've been to India a few times, the ultimate goal of the Hindu religion is annihilation. Think about this. The ultimate goal of India, the religion in India, or in other parts of the world, the Hindu religion, the ultimate goal is that you will not be reincarnated again and that you will be able to be annihilated. Isn't that hopeful? That's just extremely hopeful. And you look at, at Buddhism, and the ultimate goal is nirvana, where your soul is destructed forever. I thank God every day that our hope in Jesus Christ is not a vain hope. It's real. And when people say, you Christians, ah, you really believe what the Bible says? Yeah. Yeah, we do. And uh, you say, they get so, people get so upset at Christians because they say, you guys are, are so militant and you're so pushy and and you actually believe what the Bible says. Exactly, we do. We believe that Jesus rose from the tomb. He defeated death. And we don't have a vain faith because of it. And so we're de defining vain faith as part of this passage. But we get to verse number 20, and we see this next part. Declaring a risen Christ. Declaring a risen Christ. If you look at the wording here, it's almost in legal language as the apostle says this. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a, middle, a mythological story. We can affirm it as historical fact. If you go back in the same passage to verse number 4, it's expressing the definition of what the gospel is. And here's what it says in verse 4. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above, whoops, turned two pages. He was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained under this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. You know, if you have a conspiracy you're trying to hide, the fewer the people who know about it, the better off you are. Right? And once you start having more people come out of the woodwork that know what actually happened, your conspiracy is blown. It's defeated. You know, 500 people seeing the risen Savior pretty much wiped out any conspiracy theory. That's way, way too many people to observe a risen Christ with the prints of the nails in his hands and his feet to walk forward and to tell their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren, I saw Jesus risen from the tomb. It's a historical fact. And in fact, it is one of the most uh, sure historical facts that we have from ancient history. Dr. Luke, who wrote books in the Bible, he wrote to a man named Theophilus. And it's in the history book of Acts. that He said, Jesus showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. That's pretty strong language. Many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So we read that there are hundreds of eyewitnesses. We read that there are infallible proofs. There are also historical writings from the time period that provide outside confirmation of the resurrection. And here we have an event that is one of the most documented events in all of human history. Think of it this way. If Jesus hadn't really risen from the tomb, say the disciples did break in and they stole his body, would those same disciples go and be martyred for a lie? Would they go and willingly be martyred for a lie that they knew in their own hearts? I don't think they would. If it were not true, I don't think that there would be a movement based upon his teachings that would have lasted for over 2,000 years. That's unlikely. Yet John, the apostle, the only disciple who was not martyred, he was boiled in oil and exiled to an island called Patmos. But he said it this way, and I love this in the opening words of, of the book of 1 John. He said, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. And friends, we can stand firm in declaring a risen Christ. It doesn't have to be a question mark. We don't have to let anybody sway us. You know, there are millions and millions of people on the earth who are just searching for dogmatic truth. That's what they really want. And when Christians say, well, you know, kind of, when we hem-haw around about our proven historical record of the resurrection, we do the world a disservice. As followers of Jesus, we can walk in and we can say firmly and factually that we do have a risen Savior. 
that we should declare a risen Christ. I want to go further in the passage, though, and it gets a little more complex here. And I hope you'll hang with me because uh, this is really neat how this all comes about. We see this third part, delivering up the kingdom. Delivering up the kingdom. Look at verse number 21. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. And then it explains it. For as in Adam all die. So in the first man, Adam, all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order. Now this is talking about the order of resurrection. How will the order of resurrection play out? It says Christ, the first fruits. Afterward, they that are Christ, it is coming. Talking about the rapture of the saints. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God. And so let's talk about this thing of delivering up the kingdom. What's that all mean? Well, when Adam sinned, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, mankind received the curse. Okay, and you hear that word, you kind of think, you're thinking of, you know, witches and dragons and things like this. There's legitimate a curse on the earth. And a part of the curse of sin was that we would have physical death and spiritual death. Part of the curse was that women would have pain in childbearing. Okay, how many of you women say that the curse is true? Okay, um, how many of the rest of you are thankful that your mother went through the curse? All right, yeah. And it said that, that men would have to live by the sweat of their brow to work. It said that there would be thorns and thistles on the earth. Let's see if we can prove this one. Has anyone ever gotten a goat head in your foot? All right, it proves the curse right there. Have you ever had a mosquito come and bite you? Part of the curse. The mosquito was not originally created to suck your blood and, and cause you problems. It was supposed to be this beautiful specimen. And now it creates malaria, or it passes malaria, and all these other diseases. How do we get off on this? We're talking about the curse. Um, so, so the curse came into play through Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden. And it's very clearly laid out. And the other part of the curse was that the serpent, Satan, would, from then on, snakes would have to go on their belly. Okay? And if you've ever seen snakes move, they don't walk. Okay? They don't stand up on one leg and hop. Okay? They go on their belly uh, because of the curse. Now, the other part of the curse that sometimes we don't quite understand is that there was a curse on the earth. And the curse on the earth placed it under the influence of Satan. God allowed Satan to be the prince of the power of the air on this planet earth. And he's still there today. He's, he's still active and he's still instrumental in trying to keep people from God. But you know, one day the resurrected Christ will redeem this earth. And he will sit as king of kings and lord of lords. And it says here in, in this passage, putting all enemies under his feet. Now, that's talking about what we call the millennial reign of Christ. And I don't want to get too deep in that. i just throw it out there. Some might say, well, how certain can we be that this is going to happen in the future? I'll tell you how certain we can be. We can be as certain as we are that Jesus rose from the dead in the past. 
Because with Christ, our future promises are founded in a proven track record that has never failed once. He will deliver the kingdom to the Father at the time of the millennial reign. Jesus can deliver the kingdom because he reclaimed it when he bruised Satan's head through resurrection. This had been prophesied as the curse was given in Genesis 3.15. If you've never read that passage, you should look that verse up sometime. And it prophesies that through the seed of the woman that a savior was going to come and that was going to redeem them from the curse that was being given at that moment. And Jesus did all of this as he delivered up the kingdom. Now, there are some uh, amazing things as you get deeper into theology about the kingdom and, and what it all means and what Jesus did between the time of his death and resurrection. And, and I just don't want to get too deep into that on an Easter Sunday. But this passage brings out some of those questions. We go a little further into the passage. And uh, we've seen some very important things in the message already. But look at verse 25. For he must reign, talking about Jesus, till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And let's talk about destroying the last enemy. You know, before eternity can officially begin, one final adversary will be taken away. One final adversary will be wiped out. It's already been defeated, but in that day it will be removed from the scene. You know, the moment... Jesus rose from the tomb. Spiritual death was defeated once and for all. And from that time on, all believers in Christ, even though they died physically, they were assured that they would never die spiritually. But we get over to the book of Revelation, and we see that physical death will one day be defeated. I want you to go with me to Revelation 21. Revelation chapter 21. the last book of the Bible, and it's the book dealing with future things. And sometimes we get so wrapped up in trying to figure out all the prophecies, and, and I don't believe that God gave us the book of Revelation so that we would be confused. I believe that God gave us the book of Revelation so that we would know there are things that are coming that are very important, and uh, that Jesus is going to come back to the earth, and, and uh, there were some important things that he wanted us to know. Revelation 21, I want you to read with me here. Look at verse number one. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There was no more sea. There's just no more ocean. And if you look at a globe, and most globes don't even really show the scope of how big the oceans are. Um, some of you out there are like geography teachers, and you could probably explain this really well. But it, like if you put a map on the wall that really showed how much water is on the earth, you'd barely see the land. I mean, it's, it's really a lot smaller. And the, the land that covers the earth is less than 30% of the earth's surface. And it says no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. You know, accompanying this victorious triumph of the resurrection will be the loss of sickness. Sickness will forever be defeated. And uh, I'm not going to ask how many of you ever been sick. We've all had sicknesses before. And, and some uh, have family members or maybe even sick today, whether it's a short-term illness or some type of acute illness or chronic illness. And uh, all of those illnesses, when we get illnesses, the number one question people ask is, why did God do this to me? That's the question people always ask. And uh, you know what the answer is? God didn't do it. Sin did. Sin and the curse is what causes death. Jesus did not come to bring about death. Jesus came to defeat death. And that's why this promise is given to us, that in the future, there's no more sickness. And Liz Calhoun doesn't have to go through any more treatments. By the way, we've, uh, we've heard news from her doctor that her cancer is in remission. And so I want you to keep praying for Liz. And it, that's, praise God, that's good. And you know, not, not every cancer goes in remission. Not every piece of news that we get is good news when it comes to our physical health. But we are assured here in this passage that there is coming a day when there will be no more sickness. When there will be no more pain. When pain will be out of the equation, it'll be gone. And there are people in this room, I know, you live with chronic pain every day. Uh, you just have pain that is just intense within your physical body. And some have emotional pain within your home life and within your relationships. And some of you have spiritual anxiety and pain within your life that way. And there's a promise that because of Jesus' resurrection, that pain will be gone. It'll be wiped out. And uh, this passage declares it. Also, sorrow will be gone. Sorrow taken out of the picture. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ here in 2016, you still face physical death. But spiritual death is not in the picture for you. Physical death has no victory over the soul. I was reading a story about this little boy and his father, and, and they're driving down country road. It's a beautiful spring afternoon, and, and the bumblebees are out. And suddenly, out of nowhere, a bumblebee, a bumblebee flew right in the car window. And the little boy was uh, deathly allergic to bee stings, and of course, he became petrified. And uh, I remember as a kid, my mom was allergic to bee stings. And uh, I saw her get stung once, and I was afraid of bees. I didn't want to be around bees for a very, very long time. Still, they kind of annoy me. I just don't like them to show up. Right, how many of you are bee lovers? Right, you have hives at your house, okay, grow honey, things like that. Not many bee lovers, okay? In fact, we could we kind of do an equation here. How many of you are snake lovers? 
Okay, so we have more snake lovers than we have bee lovers. Isn't that weird how that is? All right, next thing you know, we're going to have spinach lovers. <laughs> but I, I was deathly afraid of bees because I saw what happened to my mom. And this little boy was allergic to bee stings. So he just became petrified. He turned white as a sheet. And his father reached out and grabbed the bee and squeezed it in his hand. And then he released it. And of course, as soon as he let it go, it started buzzing again. And his little boy became frantic and just going out of his mind. And, and the father sensed his son's terror. And he reached his hand out again. But this time, he pointed to his hand. And there, stuck in the skin, was the stinger of the bee. He said, you see this? You don't need to be afraid anymore. I have taken the sting for you. He took the sting out of the bee. You know what Jesus did through the resurrection? He took the sting out of death. Now this passage goes on to talk about it. And I want to show it to you in 1 Corinthians again as we go back there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Christian does not need to fear death. For the Christian, death is just a change. It's just a transition from the physical to the spiritual. I will tell you that those who do need to fear are those who are not spiritually alive. Those who have never received Jesus Christ as Savior. Those who have never accepted Jesus' death and resurrection as their hope for eternity. They should fear. They should strongly fear eternity. Because hell does not release anyone. Never. I know there are a lot of world religions that teach that you'd stay in hell for a certain period and then once somebody pays enough money or gets baptized for you or does enough good works that you get out. The Bible never, not once, ever teaches that. The Bible teaches that eternal death is forever separation from God. And it's not where anyone wants to be or should be because Jesus already came and paid the price. And why would anyone want to pay for their sins when Jesus already did? Doesn't make any sense. Back in 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse number 51. It said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. You say, what does that mean? It means that some Christians will never even experience physical death. It's, it's so unique. And there's only two people in the history of humanity who have not experienced physical death, right? One of them was named Enoch, and one of them was named Elijah, okay? And uh, Enoch, Genesis says that he walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And Elijah says that he was caught up in a chariot of, of cloud, and there's fire involved. And you say, well, I don't believe that stuff. Well, listen. Uh, this is where it comes down to. We either believe what God says or we don't. That's really what it comes down to. And uh, you don't remember the old bumper sticker that people used to have? Uh, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You, know that bumper, you remember the bumper sticker that said that? You know, that bumper sticker is pretty neat, but it's just not true. <laughs> See, it's settled whether or not you believe it or not. If God said it, it is settled. It is truth. 
And uh, there's so many people who say, well, I just don't see how a whale could swallow a man, or I don't see how water could turn to wine, and so I don't believe. You know, you believe in something. I promise you believe in something. And your belief is either in a risen Savior or it's not. And if it's not, then God says you face eternal death. But here, it talks about a group of people. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. There are some people, children of God, living on the earth during the rapture who will never die. Isn't that interesting? There are going to be people who will never die. They'll be going about their business one day, and all of a sudden the rapture takes place, and they're caught up, and it could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be any day. We don't know when it's going to be. He's going to come as a thief in the night. But we know that there's a mystery involved in this. Then it goes on to say this, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. If you go down a little further, verse number 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The last victory that ever happens is over death, physical death. Because Jesus took the sting out. Jesus defeated sin. Jesus fulfilled the law. And now Jesus offers us the opportunity of eternal life. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus into your heart. In fact, you could be even confused about what does that mean. And I can tell you just a few easy little words here, how you could know Jesus as your Savior as you leave this place today. First thing you have to realize is that we are all sinners. We're not mistakers. We're not messer-uppers. We're sinners. We have all sinned. We have all come short of the glory of God. None of us is righteous. There's not one of us who can do enough good to get to God on our own. We're all sinners. You know, the second thing you have to realize is there's a penalty for sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Separation from God for all eternity. Revelation calls it the second death. We're sinners. We deserve eternal death. But we've talked about the good news these last two weeks. Jesus came to this earth and paid the penalty for our sins with his death on the cross. He died so that we could live. He bore our sins on the cross so that we could overcome sin. Jesus paid for our sins. Here's the best news of all is that Jesus offers us the gift of eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And we can receive that gift. And you know, at Christmas time, I always talk to little kids who want to receive Jesus. I kind of explain it this way. At Christmas time, if there is a present under the tree with your name on it, how do you get that present? Right? And they tell me all sorts of crazy answers. 
well, sometimes I peek the night before, right? Or you know, I ask my brother if he knows. And You know, you say, on Christmas morning, here's your present. It has your name on it. And your mom says, here's your present. How do you get the present? Do you have to go and work a job for three years to get that present? No, you don't have to do that. Do you have to go and make your bed before you get that present? No, not usually, right? You get all these conditions that people throw in. There's a present that has your name on it. What do you have to do? And finally, they tell you, you have to open it. That's it. just have to open it. Can I tell you the reason billions of people will spend eternity in hell? Because they're too proud to open the present. Too proud to open the present. I don't need what Jesus did for me. I've got it all figured out. And the second, the moment, the instant that you die, having rejected Christ, you will spend all eternity in what the Bible calls the lake of fire. It's not figurative language. It's real. It is a literal lake of fire, a bottomless pit, where there is just the opposite of what heaven will be. Putrid, horrible place. Why do people go there? Because they refuse to open the present. You could open the present today. As we bow in prayer, I'm going to say a prayer this morning. And a prayer doesn't save you. There's no magic pill for salvation. There's only a change in your heart. Where you have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And at that moment, you have opened the present. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's give you that opportunity this morning. Father, as we bow right now, I pray that if there are those in this audience, whether they've heard the gospel for the first time or they've heard it many times, if there are those today who would like to open the present of eternal life, I pray that right now in their hearts, that they truly would believe and that they would pray a prayer just like this. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know that because of my sin, I deserve eternal death. But you died on the cross for my sins. And now you offer me the gift of eternal life. Jesus, I open the present today. I accept what you've done for me as the only way to salvation. Forgive me of my sins. I repent of my way and turn to yours. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that if there are those who express that to you today, that they would seek out a friend or they would seek me out after the service or they would let us know through a letter or by an email that they've received Jesus Christ because we want to be able to share what the next steps are in faith, the next steps in discipleship. Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts of believers today, those who already know you, those who've opened the present, and help us to remember our responsibility to proclaim a risen Savior worldwide until Jesus returns. Guide us from this place today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I give you a